when the farm bill passed, really, when you look at industrial hemp, it doesn't take a whole lot of work on Google to figure out that there's so many different use cases for the plant, right? I mean, there's some people say 20,000, some people say 30,000. And so when you start thinking about all of the different applications that you can use for what I call like entire plant utilization. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Coleman Beal, CEO of Bascor. Coleman, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm great, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Excited to, uh, excited to be here and, and be a part of, the, part of the podcast. Excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Really excited to, to talk about one of my favorite topics in terms of hemp and the ability it has to kind of change the world. So looking forward. Before we dive in, Coleman, we have a little East Coast, West Coast battle. So I'm curious, <laughs> to, know, I'm curious to know where you would consider yourself. Ooh, um, well, I am uh, based here in Montgomery, Alabama. So uh, I've spent my, my entire life, I guess, not totally on the East Coast, but closer to the East Coast. So I guess that's what I'd have to go with. If I, had to. <laughs> I know. But, uh, but I, do, I, mean, I, I do have an affinity for the West Coast as well. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, for the record, another East Coaster. So cool. Coleman, for our listeners, I'm familiar about you. Can you give a little background about yourself? Sure. So my background is I came out of the finance industry, did a lot of different things in finance and from commercial banking, investment banking, fixed income, securities, and then really got interested in hemp in uh, 2014, right after the, uh, the first farm bill that was passed that allowed hemp to be cultivated in the United States. And that's really where, where we, our original partners in, in the business, we saw an, an opportunity with industrial hemp meaning that there really was zero processing infrastructure here in North America to process the salt. So that was really um, what started my, my journey in industrial hemp, cannabis, if you will. And uh, we've really just been building the company ever, ever since then. The early days kind of starting the company, were there hurdles? Were people kind of looking at you saying, hey, this, we don't think this is really fit? Can you take us through the concepts in the early, the early brainstorming? Oh my, oh my goodness! Um, <laughs> a journey, journey is um, is a good way to describe it. I mean, you know, in the early days, it was, there was no industry, if you will. I mean, there was nobody growing hemp. There was interest in CBD. In fact, when you um, when you when you talked to, when hemp was brought up in the conversation, hemp was equated to, to CBD, if you will. So there was no delineation really between or thoughts, so to speak, between the fiber side of the, uh, the plant and what I call CBD or the consumable side. And so, but as we looked at it, it was really just an idea on, on a sheet of paper. I mean, we looked at existing processing systems overseas in Europe and they were just, I mean, for, for a market that literally didn't exist, there was no way um, there was any uh, remotely capital available to go purchase those those kind of um, systems, older technology, if you will. So we really just came up with the idea on the sheet of paper, as I like to say, to develop our own processing, like any startup or any company in, a, in, in an industry that doesn't exist. I mean, that was the start of the journey was to build our own um, decorticator or decortication system, if you will, and sketch it out. We built a prototype, right? I mean, we had issues with the prototype and then, you know, built another one. And this just it's an iteration, if you will, from the beginning to, to to where we are now. What was one of the main forces that pointed you towards industrial hemp and, and getting involved in the industry, if you will, back in 2014, besides the the farm bill? 
Yeah, no, that was um, a great question. So when the Farm Bill passed, really, when you look at industrial hemp, it doesn't take a whole lot of work on Google to figure out that there's so many different use cases for the plant, right? I mean, there's some people say 20,000, some people say 30,000. And so when you start thinking about all of the different applications that you can use for what I call like entire plant utilization, right? I mean, our focus is on the stalks of the plant. And so you, you have... You have a plant that you can use 100% of, of, of the plant and the majority of it, the majority of the biomass is in the stalks of the plant. And then you say, okay, I, there's, there's so many different verticals that you can go into. You start thinking about those addressable markets. He's like, And then you combine the fact that this is a natural product, natural material, and with the world moving towards sustainable materials, you really... When you're conceiving the idea, you say, oh my gosh, this, this plant has the ability to quite literally change the world, right? And so um, you start you start having those kind of um, visions, if you will, of, of being able to do something good to the planet combined for the planet combined with there's an incredible business opportunity here that that was really kind of the, the impetus, if you will, to, to really to dive into the full stain. I believe it. But with those type of challenges, it's pretty daunting, right? Because there's no path forward. And as you stated, you had to start with kind of building the, the, the technology. So decortification, can you just give our listeners just a simple version of what that means and kind of the type of process that went into building a piece of equipment like that? Sure. So decortication is the process separating the fibers from the inner core wood or the herd, as we call H-U-R-D, the herd of the, um, the, herd of the stalk. So you have a stalk that can grow anywhere from eight to, I mean, I've seen stalks as high as 20 feet tall. I mean, that's a little bit on the extreme side. But um, the, the decortication process is that is the separation of the fibers off of the stalk. And so the stalks of the plant are the, what we call the bast fiber, B-A-S-T, hence the first part of our name in bast, by the inner core wood, right? So bast core. And so the fibers are the outer. Think of it like a uh, bark around a tree, if that makes sense. And so... Um, that separation process is, um, is the, in essence, what the cortication is. And it's very important that you have clean materials, meaning you have fiber free of, of wood and wood free of fiber to be, able to, to be able to use in any type of industrial application. And that's really what our technology that we've developed does is produces really fine, high quality, clean materials for, uh, for different use cases. Oops, I was on mute. <laughs> uh, the fiber, of course, is used for textiles and other applications. What would the, the herd be used for? There's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different applications for that, but primarily what we're seeing here in the United States is for building materials. If you um, you can look at things like hempcrete, where you're mixing yeah. um, the herd materials with lime and water. Animal bedding, the, the 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 herd material is highly absorbent. There's other applications as well um, in. In terms of plastics, um, there's people out there doing some pretty interesting things with doing injection molding with hemp. Um, you know, all of these industries are still very nascent, very very young, but there's a lot of exciting potential, I believe, with um, with the herd. And really and truly, I mean, the herd is roughly. I mean, it depends on the on the planting, the genetics. But the herd is really the majority of the biomass of the um, of the stalks itself. So it's important for these markets to develop. And anyway, I think there's a, there's a lot of really as I said, a lot of really exciting use cases. I mean, when you think about buildings being made out of a sustainable material with, uh, i.e., with hemp, I mean, it's really, um, it's really kind of pretty incredible. I'm a big fan of the, the use of herd in construction material. Uh, I went and visited the, the harmless house. They used the mold injection uh, herd for the building materials, um, but 
from my understanding, isn't there significant regulatory hurdles that need to be addressed in order to have it be kind of playing on the same uh, field as like uh, stick and frame housing, right? And so how do you balance dealing with that like regulatory aspect to grow the industry while still maintaining your current operation? Yeah, I mean, the that's, it's a good question. I mean, there are regulatory hurdles in terms of, I mean, primarily like building building codes. And so and there's a lot yeah, of work. Yeah. There's a lot of really good work being done to, um, to to address those challenges. And from a practicality, from an industry perspective, um, there are currently projects being done in, in the United States. And you think about the sheer amount of volume that would be needed to really to really start taking significant market share in the um, in the construction industry. The, the, the simple reality is that that the amount of herd currently being produced in the United States doesn't even is, is a small, small percentage of where this could go. So right now, in terms of balancing it, but to answer your question from a business perspective, you don't have to have huge, significant amounts of large construction projects to feed you know the current capacity here is in the United States. I know you shared the hemp industry is still really, really early, but I know it's one of the earliest plants here as well. So where do you think the kind of the disconnect is between the, the origin of the plant and kind of bringing it into the industry? What, what do you think is that missing piece and why it never kind of got started earlier on? And then what do you think is necessary in order to unlock it? Well, I mean, to answer the part of why it didn't get started earlier on, I think that there was um, when the Farm Bill passed in 14 and then growing into the Farm Bill in 18 when they removed or defined and quote unquote industrial hemp, um, pulled it off its bill substance. As I said earlier, the, the industry was focused on, on on CBD. There were people that were candidly making really good money on CBD just from, from a sheer supply and demand, right? And then that market got saturated, right? And so um, the, the 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 focus is uh, I'm seeing it kind of in real time, um, you know, focusing on that fiber. So I think early on that's what that's what happened. And then you look at today to answer your question, um, the, the the lack of decortication, the lack of processing in this country is is a significant bottleneck. I mean, even we're we're the longest continuously operating processing country uh, here in the United States, and there's others that have that have started, but um, here recently. But even then, I mean, without the, the industry, we're, we're we as processors are the bridge between the farm and the end market, so right, and so without that. There is no industry, and I think that has been something that's um, often ever been often overlooked. I mean, at the end of the day, we're manufacturing companies, and so in a, in a new industry, you know, you have to raise capital in a manufacturing environment in, in a new industry. I mean, that's uh, you know something that in, in a cannabis on top of that, <laughs> so you deal, deal with those kind of challenges. So that I would say that's one disconnect. But then take it take it out a step further. Now you've got so for us, as I mentioned earlier, we've got clean, right, new material. And we're introducing this material into different verticals, different industries, supply chains. So now you have to go downstream. It's not as simple as, hey, I got this great new material, it's great quality, you know, plug and play. You know, the large, currently mature, built-out supply chains have to learn. There's a learning curve for them to to take the material. And so, you know, it's a multi-step process in terms of getting the, the material from farm all the way to developing the end markets, even even beyond us. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. And I, I think even yeah. going with that, there's like a learning curve that like you were sharing, but also educational for the end consumer that has to understand, like you said, the plant is 100 percent biodegradable and that it has multiple uses. Because I mean, just 
hearing all the potential opportunities and use cases of it, it's kind of mind-blowing to, to understand all that. That's right. I mean, and the good news is, I think from a consumer standpoint, the sustainability story, I mean, it, it really it really resonates. I mean, we talk to in brands, we talk to consumers all the time that, I mean, that that's, that is the theme of the day, if you will, is the sustainable material, sustainable materials. And so a lot of times, you know, it's, um, it's us working, we'll, we'll talk to say an in brand, and then it's us, having to kind of back into the supply chain, if you will. And, um, and it's really that kind of that push and drive for sustainable material. I, I just, it's, it's a thing that, that I don't see, that I don't see going away. Um, it's, it's just, it's only continuing to accelerate. Do you think there's a difference between sustainability, as you're saying, and let's say sustainability as maybe others in, in the past have used the word? And when you say others in the past, what, what, what do you mean by that? We've had conversations where some people have said that their products are sustainable. And then the guest has kind of pushed back and asked for evidence about it. And there's kind of been like, a, it's just kind of a buzzword. But I understand from your perspective, sustainability has a certain meaning. Can you kind of just share what your perspective is? Oh, yeah, that's a great, yeah, I'm, great question. I mean, I definitely think that you have to be careful with using the words. Well, yeah, how do you define sustainability, right? And I think one of the things that um, a lot of people don't know is that is that industrial hemp is the number one carbon sequestration plant on the planet. And so you can do, we've done some, um, some study or research in the past and where you take all of the, all the farmland here in the United States and in an extreme example, um, you know, if you converted all of that to industrial hemp, what does that mean for, you know, helping solve the, the U.S. emissions rate? Obviously we're never going to convert hundred percent, but you start really getting to um, pretty significant numbers in terms of, wow, hemp can be a significant contributor towards uh, carbon emissions here, here in the United States and, and even in the world. And so that's just one aspect of sustainability. And then you, as you were saying you, you start thinking about a completely biodegradable product that actually puts nutrients back into the soil, you know, it's good for soil rotation. I mean, the list just kind of goes, goes on and on. When we talk about though the carbon emissions, can you can you kind of tease out some of those numbers or some more of that information? There are a lot of studies that are being done now, and so it, it can be a little bit difficult, particularly here in the United States. So you really have to kind of go overseas. But some of the reports that we found um, show that one acre of hemp can sequester about nine tons of, um, of of CO2 annually, which is a pretty. Now, if you look at go to the EPA's website and see. You can look at the amount of um, carbon emissions here in the United States. I think the numbers, I don't have it in front of me, the numbers that we came up with at 100% conversion rate, and maybe you do multiple crops a year, is something like 43% of U.S. emissions could be sequestered oh, wow. by, by hemp. So, I mean, it was a significant number. <laughs> so, is uh, selling carbon credits an option for some of these farmers? I can't tell you. I'm not an expert in the yeah, carbon either. trading, carbon <laughs> credit market. I mean, it's certainly something that we've talked about. We think that there's potential there, but... And I've seen some I've seen some work being done on that. I think there's still do I think it's an opportunity for farmers? Y yes, I, I do. How that actually gets put into practice, I think is, um, is is to be determined. So sustainability has to do with how the farmers practicing. How do you guys kind of build your your network of farmers? Do you go out there and like talk to them and screen the farm? Is there like a criteria that they have to meet? Like talk us through that whole relationship. Yeah, I mean, all of the above. I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, been all right. We just celebrated our eight year anniversary. So congratulations. Um, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Um, it's uh, so, you know, farmers that are interested in help here in Alabama, we're the only fiber processor here. So, I mean, you know, if you want to, 
if you want to grow for fiber, it's, uh, we're, we're not that difficult to find, if you will. So we, yeah, a lot of people contacting us. I mean, we've been working with dedicated farmers and crops now going back, I think the first year that we actually grew with a farm, dedicated crop for us in conjunction, we're just working real closely with the farmer. I want to say that was 20, 2016, 2017. So, so we've actually developed a database here on our own of what we'll call best practices in terms of seed genetics, in terms of planting methods, harvesting methods, redding periods, bailing methods. So we've got now a multi-year database, if you will, working with various farmers. And to your point, yeah, we'll we'll vet the new farmers to make sure they've got you know the proper equipment, just have some experience or the right experience from a farming perspective. But we work very closely with um, with our farming partners because it's new. I mean, it's new to the farmers yeah. as well, right? And so, you know, we bring somebody in. We'll, at the end of the day, we're not farming and we're not farmers. We don't have any intention to, to be farmers, but it's in our best interest, obviously, to have the farmers be as successful as they possibly can, which means, you know, not only having high quality product, but a high yielding product because at the end of the day, farmers are they're smart individuals, right? And so they, the economics for them have to work. In other words, it's like, well, if I'm growing this crop here, if I grow, you know, if I grow hemp, what do the economics look like? And ultimately with industrial hemp, I mean, one of the benefits of it is per, per acre, it's a very high yielding crop. And so getting the tons per acre maximized is, um, is, is really important. We want to do everything that we can to, to ensure that that happens. Are you aware of any government conversations going on. Obviously, there's a disconnect with education. We talk about like cannabis from the the cannabinoid side, but from an industrial hemp side, is the government aware of all these various benefits that the that the industrial hemp can bring to the table? They're, they're, they're aware. And um, I mean, I know USDA is very interested in industrial hemp. We've had conversations with USDA in the past. So so yes, I mean, the government is aware and, um, and there are there are programs that are um, in the process that we've seen of being launched to, to, to do those studies. So, um, you know, that's, uh, I hope that we see that we see more and more of that. Is the military using hemp rope again yet? The military has put out RFPs for studying hemp in, in, in some of their use cases. So um, whether they are currently actively using it, you know, I, I don't, I, that's not necessarily something I've seen that maybe they are, but I, I do know that there is an interest from, uh, from, from the military for industrial hemp. I mean, it's not just industrial hemp. I mean, the military has a push for sustainable materials. I mean, you know, they're um, in certain ways, uh, their push is 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 kind of there at the tip of the spear in a, in a, in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, you're, we're only going to continue to see more more advancements there. What about for uniforms and clothing? I mean, that would certainly be a use case. I mean, our primary. I mean, we talk about. You know, a lot of times when people ask me what I do for a living, I tell them that I'm in the textile business, right? And so, uh, yeah. and, uh, and within 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 uh, within textiles, I mean, our focus. I mean, we've been focused on apparel since um, really since day one, and we continue to be focused on uh, on apparel today. So, um, in terms of military uniforms, that's something that we hope that we can that we can help be a part of. And um, anyway, we'll we'll see where it goes. Would that be the denim jacket that I saw? No, I, we've done a lot of work with denim and in, and in the workwear industry specifically. I mean, industrial hemp. I mean, one of the things people always ask me, what are the benefits of hemp? And you know, there's there's numerous checkpoints, but the number one thing uh, I would say that hemp brings to the table is its strength. I mean, this, this, the the fibers are incredibly strong, and so it's gonna when you think about 
where where does hemp fit in the apparel world? I mean, it, there's a lot of different things being done to hemp to put it in a lot of different applications, but workwear certainly fits right in the crosshair denim being a product category within in workwear. So um, we think that that's a, um, a pretty exciting product category for us and for and for hemp in general. What's the feel of the clothing? Is it is it? Can you tell the difference between hemp and and non hemp from the clothing standpoint? I mean, it it depends. I mean, a lot of that depends. It depends. I mean, one on the quality of the fibers, um, but it also depends on as we were talking about earlier the down downstream supply chain. I mean, I mean things like blend ratios. I mean, right now, really, there's there's really nobody doing quote unquote a hundred percent. No, I mean it's all it's all blends, whether it's with cotton or polyester or other types of fibers. And so, you know, the um, the feel, if you will, is going to go back ultimately to the combination of the fibers, how the yarn feels, the fabric maker. I mean, there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different variables that can impact feel. But some of the yeah, the garments that we produce have a really really nice hand, if you will, or feel, or, or feel to them. And so we're we're excited about um, launching some of these products in the, in the very near future. There's a ton of different use cases for hemp. And I was reading online a little while ago, um, and I want to know your opinion on the validity of this. And so uh, I read an article where there's an entire plane in Europe, I think, and they built the entire plane out of hemp. So you can build capacitors, you can build plastic, and everything was built out of hemp, and then they fueled it with hemp fuel. Is that myth or partial myth, partial Reality, do you know what I'm talking about? I have not seen that article on an entire. I'll, have to pull it up. I'll send it to you after we get off. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can't comment on that because I haven't seen it. I will say, I mean, you can go back. I mean, it's fairly well known within the, at least within the hemp industry, that Henry Ford built a car yeah. and fueled it with hemp. So, yeah. in terms of, we were talking about plastics and composites and materials. I mean, conceivably, you could build an airplane out of, out of hemp. Now, when you start getting into the capacitor, I mean, I have seen some work with hemp fibers and our, our research, I will say, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, can't, I don't know about the validity of that. It's, uh, it seems like, in terms of an airplane, I mean, and we've looked at some work in the aerospace industry. That industry is, so, as you can imagine, makes it so highly regulated in terms of yeah. materials that are able to go into um, into the planes. It seems a little bit of a stretch that the entire yeah. airplane would be able to build out of that. But you know, maybe somebody was able to pull that off. Yeah, I'll send it to you so you can check it out afterwards. <laughs> I probably I probably let somebody else fly in it for a little bit first. Before I-, <laughs> I wonder if that's more of like a pub uh, like a publicity stunt. But in the same in the same breath, like those vendors probably are going to be a little hesitant to want to be disrupted right by an all natural plant because it's not like they're coming in and like they they're able to compete. They're going to have to completely switch over their process if this becomes like as fruitful as then say. So from a disruption standpoint, is there a lot of pushback you're, you're hearing? I mean, I think well, I think it's not necessarily from the vendor perspective. The pushback is not necessarily like an aversion to using hemp. It's more about um, it really is more about how do I make this work, right? And so that's where we are. I mean, there, there's a lot of interest in in trying to figure this out, but then there's just the practicality of like you know how do I how do I do this and um, how do I how do I make the conversion? And you know um, the, these companies are typically relatively large companies. They've got programs in place that have been multi-year programs that are kind of plug and play. So, you know, inter- get, getting getting the time and getting the material into those processes and then what we were just touching on, making sure that the product meets all the right safety requirements, all that, it, it's, it's not an overnight process. I mean, from a disruption standpoint, I think when I think of like the biggest industry you could potentially disrupt, it would be oil and gas, right? So, I mean, is there any like, do you like not think 
projects to try to like mitigate that risk until you guys no, all I mean, we don't, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, hemp is a good question. I mean, certainly to, when we were talking about plastics, you know, there, there's disruptive properties there, but the, 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 the reality too is when, when you, we, we pick and choose our markets more so on just what does it mean for us in, in, in our business, if you will. Okay. I mean, there's a, there's a practicality of, I mean, but there, there's a reason why that we produce so many products out of petrol products out of plastic, right? It's because it's cheap. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you, um, it's cheap and it's versatile too. I mean, I mean, you got, you think about the petroleum industry and the products that have been created about that. I mean, we're talking, you know, a hundred plus years of product development, right? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of development that has been put into that. And, you know, there's, so there are a lot of products that to be made and the sheer scale of where we are with that. I mean, we we're talking about where we are as an industry being nascent. There's absolutely no way that industrial hemp today has, can compete in terms of price within, in the plastics industry and at a massive scale, right? So you've yeah. got to, you got to, I mean, is there a market for kind of quote unquote hemp plastics? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to see the benefits and the sustainability and work, but it's like any kind of, early stage products and early stage industry, you know, I mean, when starting here and, and, and kind of picking and choosing, you don't, you're not saying, Hey, I'm going to replace plastics tomorrow. It's just not feasible. We're sitting here 20 years from now. What does the, the industry look like? I think that uh, 20 years from now, I think that there certainly will be growth in industry. We talked about building materials. I think you'll see a lot more adoption in terms of products like building materials, products like, you know, um, whether it's some type of like a plastics blend. I mean, you're certainly going to see more garments with industrial hemp. I mean, 20 years is enough time for what I'll say existing established supply chains to have kind of gone through that product development process. And so then, so I think that you'll certainly see a lot more products being utilizing um, utilizing industrial hemp. Do I think 20 years from now that the industrial hemp is going to be like the only material that's being used? No, no, right. But um, but certainly I think that you're going to see a lot more, not only products, I think the consumer is going to be a lot better educated. And I think that in- industries are going to be a lot better, have a lot better education as well. And there's going to be, I mean, you mentioned the regulatory stuff. I, I, you know, I think that that will have worked its way out. I mean, look, we've come a long way, not only in the last eight years, but even the last two or three years. I mean, you can only imagine, I mean, how many times I've got the question, I was like, well, can you smoke the clothes that you wear, right? I mean, really, I mean, it's, I mean, um, you get those kind of joking questions. I mean, you know, it's kind of a- Partial series. Yeah, right. And so, you know, I don't really get that so much. I mean, every once in a while, but I don't really hear that anymore, you know? So that to me just shows you kind of like more of the mindset of acceptance of, oh, you know, hemp is, hemp is marijuana, right? right? And so that that delineation has definitely happened, right? And I think that's only- so you kind of get over that, that that hurdle, and now you can have serious conversations with, with serious people about, like, how do we make this work, right? And so 20 years from now, I think all that is behind us, right? And so now it's like we've got real product going into the market. We've got some cool, exciting projects. Um, that, that, that's that, that's where, I, where, I, where I see it. And certainly a lot more capacity, a lot more acreage being run. Because, I mean, that's a whole another thing um, is that, you know, the farmers, I mean, they're not going to grow the hemp at any type of meaningful scale unless there's unless there's markets for it, right? And there's not markets without capacity. There's not capacity without pull-through demand. So it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg thing. And you know, people have to take risks, which is something that we've done, building out our capacity, you know, um, building out our capacity in anticipation of the markets. But it's, um, 
you know, it's kind of a seesaw balance, if you will. And I think that the, the bar just continues to get raised each and every year. Do you think that in 20 years, maybe 15, 20% of the textile industry is, is hemp derived? I would hope so. I was going to go 50%, but I was like, I don't know if that's too aggressive. Or- yeah, I think 50% is too, is too, too aggressive. Um, I mean, like hemp has its, all fibers have their unique properties and, and unique attributes. And hemp certainly has its place. But look, I mean, the textile market is, um, is one of the largest markets in the world, right? I mean, yeah. talking about if you take worldwide total addressable markets, I mean, you could probably pull some numbers to get you in excess of a trillion dollars, right? And so yeah. you start thinking about 50, I'm taking 50% of that. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I would love it's to be exciting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Just need 0.01 of that. What is one fact or statistic about the industrial hemp industry or market that most wouldn't know? I've already, I would have touched on the, uh, the CO2, carbon, carbon sequestration. I've already touched on that. I mean, I would kind of go back to that. I mean, that, that's normally a stat that, that, that caused people to really pause and think when, we, when we're talking about industrial hemp is um, you know, going on that sustainability theme. It's how, um, it's how not only beneficial for the soil and for the farmers, but also um, you know, its ability to really to clean up the atmosphere. Do you know what like uh, an acre of corn would sequest or another kind of standard crop, I guess? That's a, That's a good question. I, um, I haven't done the research on, well, I don't, I don't know that corn is a, I have not seen a study that corn is a quote unquote carbon sequester. It's the same. <laughs> I haven't seen the study on any other crop, honestly. What's the most misunderstood thing about the industrial hemp industry? I would say that the most misunderstood thing about the industrial hemp industry is that not all hemp is created equal, right? And so what, I, what do I mean by that? In that we talked earlier about, you know, in the early days of the market, it was CBD and now it's turned to fiber. And being on the fiber side of the business, the stock processing side of the business is really like being in a completely different industry than um, being on what I'll call the consumable side or the CBD side um, or the cannabinoid side of the business. And so the, the genetics are completely different. The planting methods are completely different. The harvesting methods are completely different. The processing methods are completely The end markets are completely different. In fact, the plant really looks in the field completely different. <laughs> and so I think that when people think about industrial hemp, you can't just necessarily take a, a plant that's been grown for CBD and say, hey, I've got all this woody mass. I've got this. I've got these. I can just turn. I can just use that and turn that into good quality fiber. That's not. That's not how it works. Now, so um, I think today I would say that's probably one of the more misunderstood things about our industry. What is a feature request that you get often that you will never build? Well, I can tell you one of the more um, unique. Uh, how does that sound? We um, we have had requests for um, for hair. Um, so I don't know that I will. I'm not going to say we'll, we'll never do it, but. Um, <laughs> That's not something that um, that we have the expertise to do. I'll put it to you like <laughs> or or I can give you another one. Um, we ha- we did have a request um, one time for um, offshore um, coffins for funerals for the biodegradable. You know, they were thinking of yeah, sustainable yeah. biodegradable. So I, I can I feel confident that that's not a market that we will be. Uh, you don't think it's got a big enough tan? Death is one of the best industries there is, unfortunately. That's true. That's right. Uh, it really is. <laughs> when you started your journey in this space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? What did we get right? I think that um, I think identifying the need for processing and 
developing our decortication technology is something that we certainly gotten gotten right and we've gotten really good at. We certainly stubbed our toe along the way, and you know, like anything, you, you, you get up the learning curve. But in terms of getting that right, that is something that that we, we've done pretty well. The other thing I think, well, I'll say is we we I mean, we've done. We've kind of gone through a journey here, but I mean, as we sit, as I sit in my seat today and I look at the, um, the people that we have at, at the company, I mean, just from operations, from sales to mechanical ability, we just are the, the board of directors, investors. I mean, from a personnel, just people perspective, I mean, I would say that's probably one of the things that I'm most proud of that, that we've got today. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, business is all about people, right? And so um, we've just got a great team. I mean, I think. Places, uh, places where you know we've gone wrong. Places where we've uh, really certainly had our learnings. I would say, in hindsight, I mean, I go back to talking about um, about market development. I think that um, we talked about the thirty thousand different use cases, right? I think early on, our, there was kind of more the thinking of, well, you can, you know, that we did have so. Even though we've been focused on apparel, it's like, oh, we produced the fiber. You know, there's this great story. This industry can use it. This industry can use it. This industry can use the material. And just and just understanding, okay, it's not going to work here, or it's not going to work here, and just really having to fo- you know have a focus on your product and what you want to target. I think is play- you know in our early days, that's probably places that we um, you know we may have not gotten exactly right, so to speak. And I think we 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 certainly had our learnings there. I want to take a, just a quick moment though and applaud the uh, actually building of a processing center because. Uh, I looked at industrial hemp back in like 2018, 2019, and I went and looked at decorcators and like kind of dip my toes in the whole thing. And the biggest issue was like, I knew farmers out on the the plains of Colorado and they grew a bunch of hemp fiber and then they just, they harvested it and they had nowhere to, to, to take it. And yeah, the processing was really seen far. That. Yeah, it was wild. We, we, and it's we, heartbreaking. We've, we've seen that. You're right. I mean, um, there have been occasions, not not many, where we've, at, where we've stepped in and, um, and bought, and bought um, bales from, you know, farmers that didn't have a market for them when they felt that they did. I mean, but, you know, it's unfortunate to see that it doesn't help. Yeah. Our, it doesn't help our industry for farmers to grow crops, you know, and, and not be able to sell those, those crops. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, you know, that's one thing, even though we work closely with our farmers, I would say that that's a place that we're not, we're not super aggressive on the farming side, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. there's a reality of like, I don't, you know, that growing hemp just for growing hemp's sake is is not it doesn't do anybody any good. And so, yeah. you know, our focus has been on really just focusing on the product quality, i.e., our fiber, our herd materials, yeah. so that the industry can use those materials. Not necessarily focused on building scale for building scale's sake, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. our, our our methodology has just been really really nail the processing down, get the technology nailed down because ultimately. The industries are going to um, are going to uptake the material in some way, yeah. shape, form. I mean, it's it's definitely going to happen. The timing is, I think, um, you know, back to your kind of what did you get wrong? I said, you know, we're we started, we've just celebrated our eight year anniversary. I think we were probably about eight years too early. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, to, to to your point, I mean, I think that what's the way that this industry will develop is as the processing capacity expands, that's when, um, that's when we're back into the expansion of the acreage. Yeah. It's the linchpin in the whole industry for sure. So you definitely got that right. For sure. Good battle scars over the eight years though. That's right. That's right. You know, that's, that's <laughs> that's a right, right? There's only one way to learn, right? <laughs> the, hard, the hard way. 
Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass onto the next generation, what would it be? You know, I think uh, somebody said this to me one time, and I think it is very true: is that is that um, when you're starting a business, inevitably, or building a business, there's going to be challenges along the way, and you know, there are going to be challenges that um, that you can't foresee. I mean, you may think you've got the best business plan in the world. You may think you've got the best customers in the world, the best suppliers. You may think you've got the best process in the world, but you're going to be thrown, you know, curveballs and, you know, hit with things that you never thought that you'd hit. So I think that that, that grit wins at the end of the day. Um, I think that's, you know, somebody passed that, passed that on to me. And I think, you know, that's what I would pass, pass on to others is, you know, just, just try to stay in the, in the now, you know, try not to focus on things that you can't control. You know, with this this day and age, with social media, you know, and all. I mean, there, there's so many opinions out there, and, and you, all that stuff. You just have to ignore and just focus on, um, you know, trying to stay in the now and doing the right thing, and focus on your your process, your product, and your you know your people product process. Um, and in the way, you just got to have a lot of resolve and i think at the end, those are those are the companies that win agreed well said well said all right prediction time coleman in what year do we see the biggest unlocking of industrial hemp's potential and what or where will it happen closing out here in 2022 so i'm gonna take it from a little bit different perspective so I think the unlocking of industrial hemp's potential you will really start to see that accelerate i'm gonna say in 2024. Okay, from the from the initial unlock, I think that you're going to see a compounding effect year in and year out from there. Because what it's going to take is um, industries start to really roll that out in their in their product cycle. Like larger larger companies start to roll it out in their product cycle. And once you see, uh, I think that the consumer demand is going to be all over it. And um, once you see that kind of supply chain, so the so these industry once the supply chains are more well vetted out, then you start to see more product into the market, and it's just gonna it's just gonna accelerate from there. And so, look, I'm biased because we we do a lot of work in the apparel industry, so I think that apparel is where you're going to see the um, the first uh, unlocking of that um, of that potential. I like it, Kellen. I agree, but I agree for a different reason. I think that. With the 2023 Farm Bill up on the docket next year, I think that's going to also really help curb any cultural stigma that's still there from uh, like a an investor standpoint. And I think after that, there's going to be like a clear line that hey, this is industrial hemp, this is THC cannabis, this is CBD cannabis, and it's very distinct three different categories. And I think having that distinction will allow a significant more capital be pumped into the the industrial hemp space. And with that, I think it'll just be uh, a heyday in terms of innovation. What do you think, Brian? Coleman, do you want to respond? What do you think, Colin? You know, I, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. And the reason I say that is because in 2018, I, I, had, I had similar thoughts to that. We really didn't see... You know, huge amounts of capital flows into the industrial hemp space. We did see some to the um, into the CBD space. So, but you know, the industry's come a long way over the last few years. So, um, yeah. I hope so. I'll say one one other thing to that point. To um, 
unlocking a value that point that we really haven't touched on, I think is noteworthy is I, I do believe that there is um, with, with, with COVID and then what we saw happen with supply chains, I think you're seeing, I mean, you're, you're seeing this right now in, in, in semiconductors in terms of reshoring or nearshoring as a term. Oh, yeah. And I think that's just a tailwind for industrial hemp is bring, I mean, as I said in earlier in the podcast, I mean, at the end of the day, we are a manufacturing company and we're a manufacturing company based here in the United States. And I think that that is a tailwind, not only for industrial hemp, but for manufacturing in general. I think that the United States, um, we need to have more manufacturing here. It's a, it's a national security issue. It's a jobs issue. I mean, and so, you know, and as we talked about all the many use cases, I think that that's um, tailwind that's only going to continue, um, you know, for, for, for Bascor, for industrial hemp and then industry, manufacturing industries beyond, the, beyond just yeah, that. Yeah, textile. There is some uh, controversy around cotton right now. Um, overseas, right? From a, a textile perspective. So I, I hear on the headlines, right? Out of Asia, there's a... Uh, yeah, with the province. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, and so and you're already starting to see companies move move away from that. So they need an alternative called Bascor. I, right. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to seek that one through. I was shocked that that one was still sit on the table. But the reshoring is, is definitely what I thought. I think having more operations internally and then having the time it takes to build the infrastructure so that the bigger companies can then have the other vendors that are necessary that are established here to lean on it. And I, I think with what your team's doing, Coleman, I, I think it'll be exciting to watch, especially as your team continues to push the industry forward. And we thank you for kind of being one of the, the first ones out there leading the charge. Look, I just appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Always um, looking for opportunities to be able to tell the story of not only Bascor, but our, but our industry. I think it's important, you know, and I think that the, the future is very bright for industrial hemp. Absolutely. So, Coleman, for our listeners, they want to get in touch and they want to learn more. Where can they find you? Bascore.com. Um, our contact information is there. Feel free to check out the website. Check us out on social media. If there's any uh, any questions or interest in uh, what we're doing, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Awesome. We'll, well link it up in the show time. Thanks so much Absolutely. for taking Thank you. Yep. Have a great day. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.